Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, our next guest here on TSB is via Zoom, and James McCallum is the co-founder and CEO of Zenergy Group, and here to discuss the situation of oil and gas for the future across the world, and also the climate situation. He's joining us via Zoom. James, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. No, it's a great pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It's great to have you on here. You know, uh, we were talking so much in regards to new decisions and uh, new attempts to try and uh, curb the uh, climate change situation. The news came out yesterday that we've now passed the 8 billion mark when it comes uh, to population on the planet. Uh, when it comes to the climate situation, how much does population growth have an impact on the climate situation? Um, well, clearly, if we've got more people on the planet, we've got more people consuming energy and if we've got more people consuming energy we've got more carbon going up and into the atmosphere so it's very much a contributing factor i thought what was interesting though was that there was also commentary that it's slowing down so we're not straightforward on an increasing uh, trajectory we've actually got a slowing trajectory now that still means it's going to increase but it's going to increase less than perhaps was originally anticipated. So that's a little bit of good news in the middle of something that we should be concerned with. So now when you say concern and, you know, carbon emissions and, uh, you know, every day with the Industrial Revolution, that's, that's uh, you know, that they're right in the centre of it. Uh, how, how do we make those tiny little changes as an individual to ensure that we have a better future for our kids and maybe their kids? Uh, great question, Neil. I mean, ultimately... We, we, this will come down to sort of three levels of focus, won't it? It'll come down to personal focus, which you've just touched on, corporate focus and government focus. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously in Egypt, at the present moment in time, we've got the government's meeting, albeit that there are many industrial delegates there um, trying to get their voices heard. But on a personal level, um, I, you know, I think we're now coming through a cycle, um, particularly related to the economy, where... You know, how we use energy, how we're living our lives is is really up front and centre for all of us. And um, certainly in, in Dubai uh, at, at this time of year, you know, it feels like the nice time of year when 
you know, we potentially get to turn the air conditioning off. But in other parts of the world, you know, this is a very heavy consumptive time when mm -hmm. people are having to put their heating on right. in their houses. And so so the reality is, is we're all becoming acutely aware of perhaps the most important element of that, which is, is what that's costing. Mm -hmm. And historically, perhaps that's not been quite the level of focus which it is now, but we're in an inflationary world that is very much on everybody's agenda. So getting more energy efficient in our homes, in our lives, incredibly important. You know, the 2023 is going to be an historic year for the UAE, mainly because of the country uh, here. We're going to be hosting the 28th session of the Conference of Parties, the COP28, and also the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Uh, how significant is that... Uh, areas and countries like the UAE that have been so reliant on oil and gas as a, as a, as a resource, as a financial resource, are now actually hosting something like the, the, COP, uh, the hosting something like the, uh, the COP28? Uh, for, for me, that's incredibly significant. Um, we've, got, we've got the COP um, meeting being held in the first of the developing nations, Egypt, um, as we speak. And then we've got it, as you say, coming to the United Arab Emirates next year, traditionally a hydrocarbon um, producer yes. um, and the first of the hydrocarbon producing nations per se um, to host COP. Now, one of the things which we I'm optimistic about in Egypt um, is the fact that for the first time, really, we've got a bit of a blend of um, the hydrocarbon producers being at the meeting. Now, I appreciate that some of the listeners will find that quite controversial, but until now, <laughs> the hydrocarbon producing nations and companies have been excluded <laughs> from that energy discussion. Mm -hmm. um, it's impossible to imagine that that won't be an upfront part of the meeting when it comes to Abu Dhabi. Um, so, so the reality is we're going through this little bit of a transition. Um, there are uh, you know, upstream energy delegates at that conference in Egypt just now. Um, today is the energy day in Egypt. So we'll get to hear tonight and tomorrow what's coming out from that. Um, and that will be, if you like, the forerunner to, uh, to the conference coming to uh, Abu Dhabi. A thousand plus delegates in wow. the region. And in he, Egypt today from, and, from, from the United Arab Emirates. Have they all flown there on a private jet or have they taken commercial flights there? Um, I, I, I suspect that the vast majority have uh, have taken commercial flights. Okay, that's as, good. As we know, um, the, United, the United Arab Emirates also a, a major centre for commercial yes. air flights. So, so also jet fuel usage is always going to be on the agenda. You know, when it comes down to, to, to your work uh, as Energy Group, you know, you believe in that importance of using uh, purpose-driven, groundbreaking technology to drive digital transformation and business success uh, from inside out. You know, I, I've seen so often with businesses now, uh, they're wanting to go green, uh, not just for the environment, but also because being green now is a commercial viability. You know, if there's a generation that only want to do business with, 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 mm -hmm. with, with, with green companies. Um, um, uh, we see that with, with, with people sort of perhaps under the age of 30, but how how are we able to get that same mindset shift towards our leaders to understand that going green is not only better for the environment, but also as an economically sound uh, movement? Yeah, cl clearly, the business world works on financial return. Um, you know, the banks... Uh, financing businesses where there is a clear um, line of sight to profitability. And in the last decade, we've seen 
as you've quite rightly said there, Lachlan, um, um, renewable companies becoming increasingly commercially viable and in many parts of the world now producing electricity at um, at prices below what traditionally would have come from fossil fuels. So, so clearly that's driving um, an enormous agenda improvement. But the point you make about what we do at Exergy, um, you know, we are we are also, as well as being part of the energy transition story, we are a part of the digital transformation of businesses. And those two things will be going um, hand in glove alongside each other over the course of the next decade. Businesses being much more efficient, much more effective at what they do. And the, the key to that is having a digital ecosystem at the heart of your business and then embracing energy transition and going green as a not if you like just simply an esg agenda yeah. but a very commercially viable um addition to your business right uh, you know uh, we, we, we talk, a while back you you mentioned about the three aspects of uh, you know taking care of the climate change uh, you know governmental industry and uh, uh, personal uh, I'll, I'll take your focus back uh, to that bit where Industries, obviously, yes, on, on the way they manufacture, produce things, how they utilize energy is, is one thing. But there's one specific industry that is, you know, coming up in a massive way, trying to cut down the fuel consumption, and that is the electric vehicle uh, industry. The EVs that are that are literally, you know, coming out. Every major brand is now coming up with their own version of electric uh, vehicles. Now, and, and I, I might sound like a noob when I ask you this. Yes, fuel is... You know, there is uh, the carbon footprint that we leave when we use a lot of fuel and everything. But when you use electricity, that also is a form of energy. I mean, eventually, if not from, you know, one source, you're using energy energy from another source. How do we find a clear solution on this? So clear, clearly, um, historically, energy, and, and, and so you're translating that, you know, into electricity. And that's a great way of, of, of looking at it. Historically... Um, the primary power source would have been coal to generate electricity. Right. Then it moved into uh, gas-fired and, and, and oil-fired power stations. Then they came along came nuclear. Now we're looking at, at, at renewables. Now, clearly, the cost to produce that um, electricity needs to come down. But that cost is not just measured financially. It's measured, obviously, in the carbon production that goes right. with generating that electricity. And that's what makes... That's what makes um, renewable energy generation for electricity very, very attractive. But the bit that we haven't yet landed on, uh, Neil, is is what we must see going alongside that is a, is a carbon cost, which goes alongside people who are continuing to produce carbon in their businesses, you know, um, for whatever reason. Um, but there's a, if you like, there is a cost to doing that. Mm -hmm. So if you're carrying on with practices or businesses which are, potentially damaging to the environment there is a cost that you need to pay for the carbon that you put into the atmosphere which can then be used to offset developing renewable electricity prices which feed through and into that car the one thing i will say um about because you focused in on evs and obviously the move to evs is is um is very very significant for the planet we also need to see movement in that technology because there are lots of precious metals go into into those vehicle production um an enormous amount of carbon consumption into creating these evs that also needs to come right. back in terms of going forward and we're going you know and and the, you know if you take a look at the lithium batteries we still have no means of disposing of that lithium right. so so there are other environmental challenges that go with evs which i think we'll also see 
progress in over the coming over the coming decade. Uh, when in your in your experience, when you're looking at countries where the where the um, when you're looking at countries where the, 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 the gas or whether it's the iron ore or whatever mining is sovereign owned compared to countries where it is very much commercially owned, are you finding that the countries uh, where, yeah. the, where the, uh, the mining of the fossil fuels um, you know, is, is sovereign owned are far, are far more adaptable to, 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 to becoming green or, or are you finding that in countries where um, it's commercially driven they tend to adapt better? Oh, that's a fabulous question, um, Lachlan. Um, the, the, the reality is is that if we take a look at modern businesses today, um, roughly a third of the world's largest companies have um, have a commitment to a net zero agenda right. through, through 2030, 2050. Um, you know, 500 plus of the banks are, have said they will completely overturn their investment portfolios to reflect investment into companies who have to have that net, net net zero commitment. Now, your questions around ostensibly national energy companies versus um, very large um, um, privately owned companies. And to be honest with you, it's a mixed bag is the answer. If you're sitting in the United Arab Emirates where, where, where you're sitting today um, and you're looking at the, the investments that are being made by um, if you like the UAE, particularly in Abu Dhabi, or you're looking over the over the uh, over towards the likes of the investments going in Saudi Arabia into renewable energy, what you've got there is a single entity that can make a decision to invest or not invest. When when you're looking at the big private companies like Equinor or BP or Shell or whatever, clearly you have a huge bank of investors who are sitting behind you, um, and you've got to make returns to those investors um, that are attractive. Now, the good news is that particularly in, in, in Europe, many of the big um, energy companies are, are yielding significant success in that space. And if you looked at, say, the likes of a BP, for instance, their, their share price is up around about 60-odd percent from yeah. over a year ago. Now, that's not because just because they're producing oil at prices which are up towards $100 a barrel. It's also because they have aggressively um, address the diversification agenda. And the same can be said of Shell or Equinor or Total um, as, as well. The companies that we'd like to see coming more to that would be the big American oil and gas companies who have kind of lagged back in that space and, and need to step up to the plate. Yeah, because I, I ask you this because Australia's biggest polluter is a company called AGL um, and that, they're likely about to force up the price of electricity, which we're seeing in a lot of countries, particularly Europe, uh, but they've actually seen uh, many forward-thinking um, business people get on board who are basically of that idea that we need to go green in order to remain viable. Not nothing, nothing else. You know, it's a it's a broader effort as that transition to renewables, and that that's kind of from my experience. I see that how hard is it because some companies are very progressive, but also then you see some countries. Uh, there's an element of of the incomes coming from fo fossil fuels that it's quite easier with less paperwork to be able to make that change quicker without having to answer to to shareholders or a board of directors. Yeah, yeah. And it is. And, and, and that is an absolute conclusion in, in the case of national um, entities. Um, the thing I will say to you about the point you're making about the company in Australia yeah. is, is if we roll the clock forward a decade from now, big polluting companies will simply not gain access to capital. You, you will not have a viable business if you cannot access capital. I said to you earlier on that in excess of 500 of the major financial providers have 
already gone public um, um, and in fact they actually led industry in this particular space um, by saying that by 2030, 2050 for, for these companies will not lend money yeah. to companies that do not have a, a, a very um, um, opaque agenda to go, as you say, green or, or move towards a net zero agenda. So if you can't get, if you can't get access to capital to grow your business, you will simply go out of business. So so it will ultimately become self-generative. I mean, in an ideal world, all, all of those providers would, would, would go net zero. But in in reality, how much can we actually, you know, you talk about, um, you know, things like the electric cars. We still don't know what to do with the lithium batteries. You know, we'd love to go green. But what percentage can we actually go green and still be able to keep our standard of living or still be able to maintain our standard of living? How, how long will we still have to be reliant on coal and fossil fuels? You know, or is that just the okay, billion dollar so, question that no, okay. no one, I'm not putting you on the spot here, but, but, but it, because, the, uh, yeah. because this, this is the delicate balance that we're facing. We'd love to go green, but at the end of the day, we still have to rely on coal as a, as a baseload power. Do we, do we have any idea when we can be relieved of, of coal as our baseload power supply? Yeah, so, so, so the, an, the answer to that is, is, um, is yes, and I'll come back to it in, in a second. Um, what the last year... Um, has suddenly brought to the fore is is an informed discussion that says you can't just suddenly switch from one thing to yes. another thing. We've all become acutely aware of that in the last year as restrictions around generated by the war in, in Ukraine has meant you know um, fewer oil supplies into the market, fewer gas supplies into the market. And for some countries that has led to blackouts, for other countries it has led to very expensive energy bills um, and um, and what that has meant is that has flown right back down into the home and people are having to make a choice. You know, do, do you know OK, do, do I keep my house warm? Do I use that electricity? Mm. And if I do, where am I going to get it? But the point which you're asking about is, is will we ever get to that place where we've got a balance in the energy mix that, that enables us to maintain our lifestyle that, that we've got used to? But we're also saving the planet. I absolutely believe that that is, is entirely possible. If we take a a point in time, say, for instance, 2050. By, by 2050, it's roughly anticipated that something like 25 to 30% of the um, energy mix will come from renewable energy. Um, but there is still a huge variety in, in, the, in the question around fossil fuels, where by 2050, if you look at the world's experts, there is a variance between something like the world consuming 40 million barrels of oil a day up to 100 million barrels of oil a day, um, which is where we are currently. That's what we burn right now. And as we are just now, something that might also surprise your listeners, through, since as we, as we put COVID into the rearview mirror, each year since COVID, we, are, we have been increasing the amount of oil that we are using mm. um, in the world. Not decreasing, mm. it's not half, it's not gone to a third, it's increasing above pre-COVID levels. And it will continue to do that, you know, for the next up to five years or so before it starts a reversing trend, trend back towards that sort of position which we hope to achieve in 2050. So yes, we'll get there um, in, a, in a point in time, but it is not an overnight fix. You mentioned about 2050 and, you know, there are a bunch of countries, especially here in the GCC, that have a carbon neutral timeline of 2050. Uh, some of them have said 2040 as well. Uh, which countries realistically can attain that? And 
are, are there any countries that are you know at the forefront of uh, you know being carbon neutral and and have taken massive steps in in that way uh, well i think the united arab emirates can be proud of um of where it's going and i i i would expect as we come out of the back end of this week the cop conference in egypt due to finish on friday but but many people are already predicting it will extend into the weekend to get mm-hmm. any kind of meaningful deliverables you know the united arab emirates um very much committed to um energy diversification in the region investing in some of the largest solar um uh, farms in in the world and i and and right. i was at um, opec um mm. a couple of weeks ago you know that energy diversification very very much a part of the conversation but at, coming back to lockwood's point it, it was how do we balance energy transition right. with energy security and energy security of course is is the continued use of fossil fuels to keep if you like the power stations generating that electricity for now how do we balance those two things and as i said to you earlier on i am hopeful um that now that the upstream um hydrocarbon producing com- companies are a part of the conversation you know and not excluded from that conversation will come up with some meaningful deliverables in that area well it's such a fascinating topic uh, as we know we could go on for a long time but we do thank you for being generous james mccallum the co-founder and ceo of energy uh, is, is that, i've got it right how do you pronounce it zenergy no, you you great, great. So you you pronounce X strong. Exergy. Exergy. There you go. Exergy. Exergy. The, the CEO the of Exergy Group, uh, James wow. McCallum. Thank you very much uh, for sharing your knowledge uh, and your experience and your insights on this uh, incredible topic. Thank you. Lachlan, Neil, nice to meet you both. Look forward to chatting again sometime in the future. Thank you very much. And it's uh, also exceptional uh, given the COP28 is going to be happening uh, here in Dubai next year. And as you heard James say, there really is a landmark uh, for uh, this region uh, to be hosting that event. TSB TalkSport Business on Talk 100.3. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, thanks for listening to another TSB TalkSport Business Podcast. And don't forget, if you want to hear the full show, we're live every weekday from 3 to 7 p.m. across the UAE on Talk 100.3. Or you can listen to us via the Big Fan TV app.